On this episode of AvTalk, we discuss the massive aviation impacts of Hurricane Irma, from Caribbean devastation to a total lack of flights in the air over Florida for more than a day, we take an in-depth look at what's happened and how the recovery effort has begun. And Jason's 15 minutes of television fame comes from an unexpected source. Okay, uh, a couple of things. First of all, dude, I know there's a hurricane, but if you're gonna do a report from your bedroom, make your bed, okay? <laughs> make your bed properly. Hello and welcome to episode 14 of AvTalk. I am Ian Pechnik and I am here as always with the high-flying... Jason Rabinowitz. Hello, everybody. And we're back with another episode and it has been quite the few weeks as far as aviation goes and, and some major events as well as some personal stuff. I would like to announce publicly that I showered and left the house for That's the first time. a very big deal. Not showered for the first time, but left the house for the first time in two weeks. So we can't be sure. <laughs> I have people that can vouch for me on the on the showering part. But I, I just came back, literally just came back from the opening of the new flagship American Airlines flagship lounge at O'Hare. That was an enjoyable evening and, and a nice a nice time to to get away from from the house. Uh, for those who didn't tune in last episode, we just welcomed twins. So my wife politely requested that I leave the house and shower. And I did. Mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. So we we opened the new lounge. 17,000 square feet of new lounge space, as opposed to the old 4,000 square foot lounge that was kind of tucked away in a corner. It was really only used by Japan Airlines first class customers. So this this one's going to see a little bit more use and a lot more uh, a lot more food. Food is good. Food is good. Booze is better, actually. I mean, as far as lounges are concerned, and this lounge has it, as well as a the largest coffee maker, the largest self-serve coffee maker I think I've ever seen. Self-serve coffee makers. Larger, yeah, better when it comes to those? Or? Well, I mean, you have more options, oh. I guess. So that, that'll be that'll be nice to for people to get some use out of. Well, good of Chicago to catch up with JFK, because we've had one for a little while now. Uh, a couple months. So... Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, you, you guys are, you know, you always get the first stuff because, well, you serve first-class passengers out of O'Hare and United, well, doesn't. O'Hare doesn't. So, I mean, we're catching up. But anyway, so that was that was my evening, and you're getting ready to head off on a, a couple busy weeks yourself. Yeah, the next two or so weeks are going to be pretty interesting. I'm going out to LAX, Los Angeles, for cranky dork fest, basically just looking at airplanes at LAX, then down to Long Beach, just down the road for the Apex Expo, which is kind of like Aircraft Interiors Expo, which I think we had episode two or something out there. I think that might have been three, but three, yeah, yeah, that was the like that, that was our episode at the beginning of April from, from Hamburg, Germany. Right, and then straight from Apex up the coast to Seattle from Long Beach for Airline Reporters Aviation Geek Fest, or I'm butchering the name, but you get the point back to new york over to amsterdam for a night then i'm over to rotterdam back to amsterdam and then with my friend jeremy dwyer lindgren who's been on the show a couple times we're doing kind of an av geek triangle around europe picking out some weird planes along the way we're gonna fly a i think it's a swiss c bombardier c series up to london city and then a klm Avro RJ85 back to Amsterdam, I think, something along those lines. So we're is, it, is it KLM or is it CityJet? CityJet by KLM, KLM by CityJet. I don't know, one of the two, but sold through KLM. But Gotcha. Looking forward to that. So it's going to be a busy couple of weeks. We will definitely have more of that from Jason on, on those flights. The, as I think 
I think City is one of the only airlines still flying the Avro as Swiss wound theirs down a couple weeks ago. Yes, yeah, Swiss so wound it uh, down. Brussels, I think, is, is still operating them, but I, I think it's also from CityJet. Not really sure. So Jason's going to do some homework on that and let us know, and then we'll see what we can see about how the CS100, if you're going into London City, it's the CS100. So that'll yep. be, I'm looking I'm looking forward to hearing what that's like in commercial service. Yeah, I, I've, I've been, on, from anyone. been on board the uh, C-Series a few times, only on the ground, not in the air. So looking forward to it. So that, that'll be fun. Steep approach. But I guess our main story, really our only story that contains many, many stories is Hurricane Irma this week, which kind of moved from the Caribbean up through Cuba into Florida and and really impacted as far north. I mean, clouds and wind as far north as, you know, Tennessee up through past Atlanta. Yeah, and, even Atlanta Charlotte. had some issues yesterday. I mean, it, it was, I mean, you know, call it what you want as far as storm of the century, you know, one in a hundred or, or whatever it might be. But it was, I think we can call it a hell of a storm. Yeah, and we're right off the heels of Harvey a couple of weeks ago. I think our, well, our last podcast had a, yeah, a lot yeah. about Harvey and the issues they were having in Houston. And this kind of really overshadowed it to exponentially worse, it seemed. Yeah, I mean, and this is something that we were following pretty much, you know, all week from beginning to end. And, and we're recording on Tuesday the 12th, and we've been following it basically since last week. And watching its progress and, and kind of hoping for the best and, and seeing some of just the, the devastation that, that was wreaked on, on the Leeward Islands and things like that. And especially on St. Martin, which is kind of best known as, as an Avgeek's paradise. And the Dutch side of the island took, took a really big hit. Yeah, I, I'm guessing most people listening to this podcast have heard of St. Martin, if not been there physically, at least a, a once or a couple times. But... The island really took a detrimental hit. Buildings, everything is really destroyed. The airport is in really rough shape, but at least it's finally back open for humana, humanitarian and military flights. So yeah, yeah. they're getting people in, they're getting people out. I think both the government officials from both the Dutch and French side of the islands visited. So I think Emmanuel Marcon was out there this week. I think even on the Dutch side, which is quite a bit smaller they had a whole envoy out there so they're, they're getting the help they need but it is going to be a long long road to recovery for them yeah i mean Ed, i don't know how many people listening to the podcast have have watched the ptz tv cam that we've talked about that's at st martin airport the on the dutch side at sxm but i mean they, they basically posted the last moments of the camera online for everyone to watch as the storm moved through and, and basically took the camera offline and, and knocked it out. They also host a, a flight radar 24 ADSB receiver, and obviously that's been knocked out too. Yeah, the last few frames from that camera were, were really kind of terrifying. The, the wind there was insane, and the camera wasn't just taken offline, like the power didn't go out or the connection didn't go out. It was hit by debris and destroyed. Yeah, yeah, it, it it wasn't one of those things where the, it just kind of shut off. You could kind of see it be not where it used to be. Yeah. <laughs> I guess is a is a is an interesting way to put it. But it was one of those things where we where I've been in contact with with our host with the folks at PTZV, and they say that they're 
you know, I mean, as soon as they can, they're going to figure out what's going on. They're going to rebuild. They don't know where exactly. They don't know how exactly. But they want to bring the camera back online. They want to put the receiver back online, and they want to, you know, keep showing off that that airport for people. So, I mean, we're going to support them any way we can, and and hopefully that that's a quick process. Well, good luck to them, and if you have the time or whatever to spare, consider donating to a, a local charity down there because they're they're going to need it. Yeah, especially St. Martin and, and all across the Caribbean. There's a lot of folks that are going to need a lot of help. And a few folks in, in San Juan got got the help they needed before the storm hit there with a lot of rescue flights. And, and one particular flight, really thanks to you, Jason, became an international sensation. So I'll <laughs> let you tell everyone about this. Uh, I, I didn't quite see this story blowing up the way it did. But as Irma was approaching San Juan, it was ramping up. They were really shutting down the airport. And I think, what was it, Wednesday morning, there were a couple flights out of Florida, three flights. Uh-huh. Two, yep. two JetBlue, one American, departed South Florida for San Juan. Last flight, yep. they were planning it to be their last flights in and last flights back out of San Juan. They got all the way to San Juan, decided, no, we're not doing this. Turned around, went all the way back to Florida. They gave up. They determined the, the weather was too too strong. They didn't want to even bother turn all the way back. An hour and a half, two hours, somewhere in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, this little Delta 737-900ER is plugging down to San Juan out of JFK. Just kept on going when everyone else turned around. And they got closer and closer. And we're all thinking they're going to turn around, right? Or they're going to divert to Atlanta or Fort Lauderdale or something. And no, they kept getting closer and closer. And eventually they... Landed in San Juan. Okay, now what? 53, 52 minutes later, I think, they actually got the aircraft turned around. I think Delta said there were 30 passengers inbound to San Juan, and they loaded up 170 passengers, bags, meals, actually. All the fuel needed to get back to JFK took off and departed kind of between the outer bands of Irma and kind of snaked their way through the storm cells and went back up to JFK. And I think they said the air traffic control tower in San Juan closed about five minutes after that flight departed. Yeah, they it, it basically they they got the flight out and said, okay, no more. Yeah, they were waiting for that one flight. But I was not expecting that story to go so ridiculously viral in the mainstream. But the images of of the flight tracking on ADSB along with the weather the I guess you would call it the Doppler weather radar. Uh, I guess it's, it's more it's like satellite. satellite. It's satellite coverage. Yeah. Satellite made just made for some really really good visuals. I mean, it, if you're familiar with Star Wars, think you know canyon flying. Use the if you're, Yeah, something. It, I mean, it, these pilots were were working on something. I mean, just the incredible coordination to get down there at the right moment in between kind of two bands of heavy weather, fuel up, load up. And get out in between these the outer band and the core of the star. It just, it's amazing. That's that's really all it was. It, it was good forecasting and good timing. When when the yeah. other flights that turned around got to San Juan, it was in the middle of one of these intense outer bands of Irma. When Delta got there, 
they were between two of those bands, so they could easily land, do their thing, and take off again without really any adverse weather. I mean, it was a little windy, but it wasn't like hurricane force or anything. I think it was thirty knots. It was yes, it was well within you know well within limits. But that's uh, to the testament of, of good forecasting, dispatching, and, and piloting. Yeah, good for them. Yeah, it was that was pretty. And Jason, I know you're reluctant to talk about uh, this, yeah. but you became a brief celebrity. My fifteen minutes came and left. Your, your your 15 minutes came in the form of a television interview, which turned into a bit of, you were chastised on national television on The Daily Show. Yeah. So I did a few interviews talking about the story. One with CBS DFW, one with, I did a couple. And one of them, or one of them was on, on Univision, which I still haven't found. I'm, I'm really looking forward to see if um, they dub me over in Spanish or something, but I got to find that. But one I did on Fox 5, which is the New York Fox affiliate, and a day later, The Daily Show picked up this story, and in a part of them covering it, they showed the um, interview I did, which was right here where I sit doing this podcast in my bedroom, and in the background was my bed, which was mostly made, but Trevor Noah on The Daily Show didn't think so and called me out for it. (laughs) <laughs> so so now now we know for future television interviews jason will be making his bed you can't he, you can't be sure of that let, lest he wind up on the daily show another time i'd be okay with it but all of that said i mean the delta flights were pretty impressive and then the day before kind of was it tuesday night delta had supposedly flown and we've talked about this before the, the last 747 flight for whatever it may be and and how you and i are both very skeptical mm-hmm. that uh, the last 747 flight will ever be the last 747 domestic flight. flight domestic flight yeah and so delta claimed that the night before the last 740 domestic 747 flight was going to be lax to detroit and they flew the flight it was an overnight flight it turned out to be a party and a lot of people had fun great wonderful and everything then irma comes up and they say well we've got these 747s just kind of sitting around with you know some slack in the schedule so they pressed a few into service flying between detroit and orlando to pick up passengers that were stranded in orlando or, or ahead of the storm and evacuate them out to detroit so to be totally fair those. i don't believe delta ever at any point actually said that flight from lax to dtw was the last domestic flight People had assumed that because it was the last one currently in the schedule. And Delta had things like, they had stickers like, thank you, 747. But they never said it was the last domestic 747 flight. People just assumed that. And Delta kind of went along with it. Well, that's that's fair enough. But they did did put some, they did put some of the, the larger planes into service. Yes, they did. To bring passengers out. So that was, I thought, uh, a good thing that they were able to do to make use of the, a little bit of the slack in the 747 schedule, whether or not that was because it was the last domestic service or because that's just how the schedule worked. Right. And since then, there's been all sorts of rescue flights throughout the Caribbean. I believe Delta dispatched uh, 757 to St. Thomas, another airport in Ireland that's just completely obliterated. Some of the images from their airport is just devastating. Yeah. But copa sent some seven threes to saint martin WestJet a bunch of seven threes to saint martin i believe sun not sunwing or one of the canadian airlines was it sunwing or no yeah it was sunwing sunwing sent a bunch of uh, rescue flights down there too so 
a lot of scrambling yeah. from a lot of airlines from all over the world getting, uh, Sun, getting people Sun out. Wing's been sending flights down there, and then Sun Country as well has been running. Yeah, well, they've been running kind of evacuation flights, especially from San Juan and, and landing at O'Hare, an, uh, an airport they don't normally serve. Yeah. But it's just been a place that they can they can land and have space and things like that. And there have been aircraft from from various airlines parked at random, basically, because of the storm. I mean, especially you know the, with the evacuation of Miami and Tampa and, and Orlando, you've had a bunch of Southwest aircraft move out. Spirit aircraft have been you know parked six deep in Detroit. There's been a few Virgin aircraft and Spirit aircraft that have been staying over in Chicago. I mean, just getting all the pieces back together has been... If Harvey was bad, I mean, Irma was exponentially worse. So there were a couple interesting, at least, aviation tidbits that went along with the storm that for the first time since probably the year 2000, JetBlue had zero aircraft in Florida. American during the storm had zero aircraft at Miami, which is one of their largest hubs and even a maintenance facility. So it's miraculous that they had no aircraft there. But not every plane got out since in Miami, there is a lot of overhaul work done there, even by airlines that don't really serve that airport. Some are left behind and I haven't heard what the fate of those aircraft is, but I'm, I'm assuming they're okay. Yeah. I mean, we haven't really seen pictures or anything like that of the of any, you know, serious devastation at Miami. So it's hopefully they, they survived okay or they were pulled into hangars and and survived uh, yeah. just fine. But there was a long chunk of time where there were zero airplanes over the entire state of Florida, which is crazy. I mean, it, it was pretty incredible to see. I mean, and, and probably not since, you know, 2001 has that airspace been that empty. And it, it, was, it was an interesting thing. I mean... We posted a, a graphic of the Embry-Riddle, all of their aircraft, because they're based in Daytona Beach, and they evacuated up to Georgia. And so you see this long line of Cessnas just kind of evacuating from Daytona Beach up to Auburn. And it, that was one of, you know, one of the intense visuals of, of seeing how, how all of these you know, aviation kind of with Embry-Riddle getting out and all of the ge- other general aviation just kind of getting out of Florida. Yeah, some of the... Some of the images from before the storm hit of just how many aircraft were over Florida evacuating because there's so much general aviation down in Florida was crazy. I heard on multiple occasions as people were getting their aircraft out of Florida, the FAA actually ran out of squat codes and had to issue ground delays because they didn't have any more codes to give out to pilots. Yeah, I mean, it was it was just a mass exodus ahead of the storm. and And then... You know, dealing with the storm, as the storm moved through, just nothing in the skies. Yeah. And anything that was airworthy and could be flown out was flown out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, although there there were a few pictures, and I'll try and post these in the show notes if I can track them down, a few hangars that are, are hurricane, you know, category five rated hangars at certain airports in Florida that were just packed, you know, in insanely intricate Tetris-like ways to get as many aircraft as you possibly could inside the hangars for people that weren't able to fly them out or, or wouldn't fly them out, however they, however that worked out. That sounds expensive. It does sound expensive, and, and it also sounds like it's something that uh, hopefully that you know all of those planes made it through. As far as, as making it through, I mean, one of the things that, that we've talked about this week has been the decreased coverage 
on flight radar 24 because of the storm. I mean, obviously, the way we track flights is, you know, taking the radio signals that are coming out of the transponders in the aircraft, and they have to go somewhere, and they go into an antenna that's hopefully mounted outside. And then I feel like you're throwing shade my way there, Ian. I, and that was not my intention. However, hopefully mounted outside. <laughs> and then, you know, taken into a receiver. So, I mean, we need we need the, the the physical antenna to be there to receive the signals. And then we need power and internet to to collect the signals. And so I shared a map earlier this week of just the number of down receivers because of the storm, whether that's because power's down or, or internet's down or the physical antenna, like in the case of St. Martin, is just gone. Yeah. So that's been, you know, something that, that we're watching as as kind of things come back online and helping receiver hosts anyway. Is the receiver damaged or is it just a, an issue of power and internet? Yeah, so coverage took a, a big setback to I guess where it was a couple of years. It'll it'll creep back up, it'll get to where it was at some point, but it's not gonna be quick. Yeah, no, it, it's it's gonna take as long as it takes people to to assess the damage. I mean, obviously, you know, hosting a flight radar twenty four receiver isn't the most important thing right now. No. You need and to get float radar twenty four back in the seas and downtown <laughs> to the Caribbean. We, we do need we do need to send it down there. Yeah, that that's that that's actually not a bad idea. Where is that thing? We should talk about that sometime. It's in the shop. Oh. It's currently being worked on. But yeah, we, we will talk about that in a future episode. I forgot when, about when that there's thing. when there's a bit more to share. But so the, the, the decreased coverage has kind of increased our use of estimated coverage in the area. And that's been, was kind of an issue when we were showing planes flying through the eye of the storm. They and, weren't and actually doing, well, there were a few planes doing that and they're called well, hurricane hunters. Correct. Yeah. And, and those were fun to track as well. I mean, there was, uh, was it uh, Gonzo and Kermit were the ones that were flying in this particular hurricane. So I guess Miss Piggy is on overhaul. Yeah, seemingly forever. So for for anyone that doesn't know, because I just said a bunch of names of uh, Jim Henson's Muppets, and and you're going, what are they talking about? The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration has a select group of pilots who volunteer for these services, and they basically fly into the hurricane, yeah, literally no, no into big deal. the hurricane. No big deal. So, you know, normal day at the office, you know, you wake up, you have your coffee, you do your flight plan, says, yeah, I'm going to go fly into a hurricane at, you know, 7,500 feet. And you come back, you have lunch, you fuel up, you do it again, and, and that's your day. So there, there are two, they are WP... 3D Orions, specially modified for hurricane flying into NIS. And there's a G4SP. Which does not go through the eye of the storm. They fly above and around. So it's basically the P3 is figuring out what the hurricane is doing, and the G4 is figuring out what the hurricane's going to do. You know what what the weather around it's like, what the 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 wind, the cloud, the weather patterns, things like that, to to figure out where the hurricane's going to go, so they can better better forecast and better predict where the hurricane's going and how strong it is and how dire the warnings should be. So they were flying into and around the hurricane all week. We also ended up showing because of how estimated coverage works, a bunch of planes flying through the hurricane that weren't actually flying through the hurricane. Though I bet they wanted to. As much as I'm sure they wanted to, they were flying around the hurricane. We just 
we just don't have the logic to show go around hurricane. So basically, when there's no coverage for an extended period, the algorithm determines they are going to fly the shortest distance between point A and point B. And that's just what it draws. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes there's a hurricane in the way. And sometimes there's a hurricane in the way. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. So for aircraft that have an origin and a destination, we will, if they exit coverage, so say they're in ADS-B coverage or or MLAC coverage, if we stop receiving a signal, we can estimate their track for, at this point, up to 240 minutes, so, so four hours. And this is you know, generally used for flights over the Pacific, like Qantas flying in between Sydney and Dallas is going to be out of coverage for a little bit longer than most any other flight. So we can estimate knowing the great circle route where it's going to go. For these hurricane flights, because we lost so many receivers, we ended up with degraded coverage and we ended up estimating flights that were traveling from the U.S. northeast, like like New York or something like that that were actually flying around the hurricane, but because of the estimated coverage, we showed them projecting through the center of the hurricane. So a little bit of an issue there for, for people wondering how things worked, but that's that's a bit on estimated coverage. So tell me, Ian, how can I find if a flight is an estimated coverage? Aha, I'm glad you asked. So for every flight you follow on Flight Radar 24, you can click on the flight. If you're following on your app, click on More Info to bring up the, the full info box. Or if you're on the web, scroll all the way down to the, to the left side plain info box. And you'll see a little box named Radar. And that radar is going to tell you what receiver is actually showing the data on the website or in the app. And if it's an estimated coverage, it'll say F-EST. And then you'll know that the flight is in estimated coverage. Cool. So it was a long week. It was a, a massive storm. And we're recover. I mean, everyone's recovering. I'm sending family back home to Tampa that's been up here with us to luckily just a power outage and, and nothing too much more. A few loose roof shingles. So hopefully every everybody gets back to that. So but hey, uh, there there was some yeah. non-hurricane terrible news this week, right? I don't know if it was non-hurricane terrible, but there was some non-hurricane news, surprisingly enough. Wow. Tell me yeah, more. I, I know. Should we talk about United or should we address His Holiness first? I think we should go in order that the sheet here says we will. Oh, yeah. Our notes. Yes. <laughs> we do have notes. So the Pope made a trip to Colombia. Pope Francis made it, made a flight from Rome to Bogota. And and we only bring this up be, because I'm still it's one of those things that mystifies me that it, it's such a thing. But we had almost 3 quarters of a million people follow the flight from Rome to Bogota. And I'm always impressed by the amount of of followers of of his travels. And it's really not, you know, Pope Francis, but the Pope in general. This is going back, you know, a Pope now, or maybe even two Popes. Pope so, I. Th- th- I mean, yeah, it was just just one of those fascinating things where it, it, there's so many people interested in, in following his flight. So I was that was a, a massive spike in traffic, and it, it's it's become so we know about it now. I mean, we're we're done being surprised as far as the increase in traffic that that we plan for it. 
as far as some technical things. Gotta get those extra server hamsters Uh, going. Yeah, exactly. We we spin up some hamsters just to make sure that the the site is going to be operating properly. Everything went to plan, and and the Pope had safe travels. Who did the Pope fly? So the, there's there's a little bit of science to to how they determine what airline the Pope is going to fly. So there is indeed. So when the Pope leaves the Vatican and flies somewhere, he I don't want to say always because I'm sure there's an exception somewhere that that someone can write into to podcast at fr24.com and tell us about because they know. But usually the Pope will fly Alitalia and departing Rome, where, wherever he's headed. And the, the flight number is, I don't want to say always again, but normally AZ4000. So it's pretty easy to track. And then on the way home, it's whatever the host country, their flag carrier, or if it's a, if it's a country that has multiple airlines, it'll be one of the well-known airlines for that country. So when the Pope visited the United States, American Airlines flew him back to Rome. Right. And so visiting Colombia, Avianca flew the Pope home. Which I think, think is a, a pretty cool thing that they do. Instead of just having their own aircraft, they kind of spread it around. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so, uh, I mean, a lot of people... Departing the U.S. on American, it was the call sign, the radio call Shepherd sign was one. Shepherd One. And the call sign on the flight for Avianca, they departed as Avianca 150 and somewhere over the Atlantic changed their call sign to Shepherd. Huh. So I'm not sure if they forgot to do it as they were leaving or if it was just they wanted to reach a certain point in the flight before they changed it or, or what. But Did they uh, not consult the Pope flight part of the um, of the checklist? I, I, I guess not. Landing uh, gear up, check, lights off, check, Pope f- call sign. Oh, crap. That must have been it. Forgot that. So one. whatever it was, over the Atlantic they became – they became shepherd. This might be the these pope flights out of Italy might be like the one thing that keeps Alitalia around forever. Who knows? <laughs> or, or the, I mean, you, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what are they going to do if if Alitalia is not a thing anymore? That that's a good question. I mean, I'm sure Alitalia will be around, but it'll be you know Alitalia by I don't know somebody. Oh, speaking of airlines that are in deep deep doo doo. Yes, Air Berlin. Our, our weekly update. We, we told you not update. to book any more Air Berlin tickets. And if you didn't oh, listen, boy. you've done a very stupid thing. <laughs> but the Air Berlin demise continues. Today, their pilots had what I guess you would unofficially called it a sick out. Or is it sick in well, or I sick mean, out? Yeah, sick, sick out. You sick know, out. It, it, it wasn't a sick out. They were just, it happens to be a, a massive coincidence that so many of their pilots were sick at the exact same time. That's all it was. <laughs> can't fly today but yeah air berlin not not looking good they've canceled a whole bunch of routes i think they axed their entire caribbean network there's rumors of a330s being repossessed i can't vouch for that but that's what i've heard on the the interwebs but yeah air berlin not looking too good yeah no air Air berlin is not i mean they're they're looking at cutting dusseldorf service and and all for all sorts of good fun stuff and here's a a pro tip it even affects some Eurowings flights, oddly enough, because Eurowings and the Lufthansa Group as a whole, I guess, is wet leasing aircraft from Air Berlin 
And when you let really? when you wet lease an aircraft, that means you take the entire thing, the crew, the flight crew, um, the flight attendants, everything. And even a bunch of Eurowings flights were canceled today because of the Air Berlin issue. So if you do happen to book a Eurowings flight in the near term, just check the booking, look really carefully and make sure it's not a flight that's actually operated by Air Berlin. Do yourself a favor. Yeah. Definitely, I mean, definitely good. I, I didn't know that about Eurowings. That's, so that's a pro tip right there. That is a pro tip right yeah, there. Yeah, Eurowings is not happy about that. And other strike news today. We had another French air traffic control strike. Ah, uh, we oui, Which oui. For, for anyone who, who is familiar with aviation in general, France in particular, is not surprising. I don't even know how many strikes they've had. Nobody the even knows year. what they're striking about, Ian. But the, but there's a strike, and and so the interesting thing is planes fly around France and take longer to get where they're going. So planes, you know, flights that are flying from Madrid to London end up taking you know an hour longer and things like that. <laughs> and in other strike news, I learned today that there was a SAS pilots were on strike. There was a huge impact to flights. Because it was, and and I wish, I wish I was making this up, but I am not. Two pilots went on strike. Oh no, not two, two pilots. Two pilots, not two hundred, not you know two thousand. Two, two pilots were on strike. So I I'm not even sure if it impacted operations, but <laughs> but that's this week's strike news. So before we continue on, actually, I just googled the French ATC strike. And if you type in French ATC in Google, it auto-completes the rest of the sentence to say, French ATC strike dates 2017. As if this is like (laughs) a pre-planned holiday thing. As if there's like a calendar released in January where, okay, I'm going to fly through France in November. Let me check what the, the scheduled strikes are. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those things. I mean, you know, it, at this point, and, and it, we post about it and, you know, mention that the strike's happening. And, of course, all of the responses are, you know, maybe you should just start posting when they're not striking. So that, that's – it's a thought. Maybe maybe we will do that. Just have a schedule or, or you know, or maybe like a, a mini site, you know, are, are the French ATC on strike today? Yes or no? Yeah, somebody should find out what they're striking about. Maybe that'll end it. But it's crazy. I'm, I'm looking at the list of Ryanair flights that are canceled because of it today. It's huge. Yeah, I mean Ryanair. Ryanair has been very vocal. Anytime the French, you know, are going to strike, Ryanair puts out a bunch of press and social media about you know how the government needs to get involved and, and stop the the air traffic controllers from striking because obviously it does affect. I mean, it affects you know Ryanair, EasyJet, especially a lot of the the carriers that are flying into smaller airports because the smaller airports and the smaller the regions are being affected disproportionately. Wow. Because of course you know. Paris is being kept as operational as possible. Right. So you know, I mean, you know, you know, Charles de Gaulle is mostly okay. Yeah. Wow, Ryanair uh, canceled like, like two hundred and twenty flights today. It's no no joke. Yeah, it's it's not it's not a small number. Anyway, quickly back to the U.S. and and then we'll 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 say goodbye for this episode. An interesting thing happened. We, we got some some I guess antiques or what would we call it? A collector's items last year. Yeah, we did. So so Jason and I attended an event with Airbus and United Airlines where they handed out A350-1000 keychains. And we were excited about well, that. they did more than hand out keychains. They had the plane there. Well, it, the point of the story for as far as the antique items is the keychains. 
but they had the A350-900, the, the carbon fiber. Was it the registration FWWCF? Yeah, MSN2, which I flew yes. in from Newark. That was that was fun. And so we, we both got to fly it. And it, as far as I'm concerned, it's a wonderful airplane. But United had an order for 35 1,000s. You sound so sure about that. I, I think – well, I know the new number yeah, is Yeah, it, it was 35. 35, 35 1,000s. Okay. So they, they had an order for 35 A350-1000s, the, the longest variant, the one that's still being tested and not quite in service yet. And they just changed it to instead of 35, they're going to take 45, but of the smaller A350-900, which is the, the variant in service now around the world. Right. There was a lot of back and forth about this order. Will they? Won't they? It went on for a long time and kind of out of the blue this came out. That they, instead of taking 35 1,000s, they take 45 900s. I wonder if you, if you put them nose to tail, will 45 900s be as long as 35 1,000s? Hmm. If you want to do the math, it's podcast at <laughs> fr24.com. We'll leave that to an intrepid mathematician. Certainly not going to be me. Well, I mean, what Jason's going to do is he's going to go make his bed. No. No. Is this becoming a principal thing? Like you were, it's just a refusal now? Never. All right, fair enough. Good, th- good thing we're an audio podcast. Anyway, <laughs> quickly, listener mail. We've been told that we should do more with aviation photography and focus in a little bit more. So we might have Jeremy back or we might have some other aviation photographers back to talk about their setups because they're different than Jeremy's and some more tips on how to you know make the most of your plane spotting. Going back a few episodes, we got some feedback on our favorite airports. We left out Copenhagen. I mean, I didn't leave it out. I've never been there. So, Well, I have been there, and it is a great airport. So if you're looking at, I think the Nordic area, as far as airports go, is, is a good place to have a favorite airport, depending on what you're looking at. I will say, I boarded an ATR-72 in the middle, one of those midfield boarding areas where they just kind of bus you out into the middle of nowhere and there's a plane sitting there you get on you taxi away and go full bar wi-fi magic it is magic so one of those things that that that's you know if, if wi-fi is your thing copenhagen's a, a great city so that is our listener feedback for this week and a couple busy weeks it has been so hopefully the next few weeks are a bit calmer and we'll have some good stuff in episode 15 we have some really cool guests coming up in the next couple episodes we do we're going to we do we do i I promise we do one we're going to talk to a pilot who recently transitioned from a 737 to the 777 and the process that you go through in in getting type rated on a new aircraft and and what the differences are and things like that so we're going to talk to we're going to talk to a pilot about that and we're going to talk to an airline dispatcher about what that's like what kind of job that is and what that all entails because I think it's one of the most important jobs at an airline that almost no one knows about. So in the next couple episodes, those are some of the people that we're going to have on. So so I'm looking forward to that and I hope you are too. I know I am. Excellent. This has been episode 14 of AvTalk and I am Ian Pechnik and I'm here with the bed-making extraordinaire. Oh, we're never going to let this down. Oh, that's, Absolutely that's it. I'm not. done. Let's get out of here. (laughs) That's Jason Rabinowitz, and we'll be back in a couple weeks with episode 15. Thanks so much for listening. Bye-bye.